0: Section eighteen of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sudeshna. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume One, by Thomas Stevens. Chapter Eight, Part One. Chapter Eight: Bulgaria, Rumelia, and Into Turkey. The road leading into Bulgaria from the Zaribroad Broad Custom House is fairly good for several kilometres, when mountainous and rough ways are encountered. It is a country of goats and goat-herds. A rainstorm is hovering threateningly over the mountains immediately ahead, but it does not reach the vicinity I am traversing. It passes to the southward and makes the roads for a number of miles well-nigh impassable. Up in the mountains I meet more than one Bulgarian National Express. Pony pack trains carrying merchandise to and fro between Sofia and Nish. Most of these animals are too heavily laden to think of objecting to the appearance of anything on the road. But some of the outfits are returning from Sofia in ballast only, and one of these, doubtless overjoyed beyond measure at their unaccustomed lissomeness, breaks through all restraint at my approach and goes stampeding over the rolling hills, the wild looking teamsters in full tear after them. Whatever of this nature happens in this part of the world, the people seem to regard with commendable complacence. Instead of wasting time in trying to quarrel about it, they set about gathering up the scattered train, as though as stampede were the most natural thing going. Bulgaria, at least by the route I am crossing it, is a land of mountains and elevated plateaus, and the inhabitants I should call the ranchers of the Orient.' in their general appearance and demeanor bearing the same relation to the plodding corn and sight-swinger of the Morava Valley, as the Niobrara cowboy does to the Nebraska homesteader. On the mountains are encountered herds of goats in charge of men, who wreck little for civilization, and the upland plains are dotted over with herds of ponies that require constant watching, in the interest of scattered fields of grain. For lunch I halt at an unlikely-looking mehana, near a cluster of mud-hovels, which I suppose the Bulgarians consider a village, and am rewarded by the blackest of black bread, in the composition of which sand plays no inconsiderable part, and the remnants of a chicken killed and stewed at some uncertain period of the past. Of all places invented in the world to disgust a hungry expectant wayfarer, the Bulgarian mehana is the most abominable. Black bread and mastic, a composition of gum mastic and Boston rum, so i am informed seem to be about the only things habitually kept in stock and everything about the place plainly shows the proprietor to be ignorant of the crudest notions of cleanliness a storm is observed brewing in the mountains i have lately traversed and having swallowed my unpalatable lunch i hasten to mount and betake myself off towards Sofia, distant thirty kilometres the road is nothing extra to say the least but a howling wind blowing from the region of the gathering storm propels me rapidly in spite of undulations, ruts, and undesirable road qualities generally. The region is an elevated plateau, of which but a small proportion is cultivated. On more than one of the neighbouring peaks patches of snow are still lingering, and the cool mountain breeze recall memories of the Laramie plains. Men and women returning homeward on horseback from Sophia are frequently encountered. The women are bedecked with beads and trinkets, and the gisors of semi-civilization, as might be the favourite squaws of squatting beaver or sitting bull, and furthermore imitate their copper-coloured sisters of the far west by bestriding their ponies like men. But in the matter of artistic and profuse decoration of the person, the squaw is far behind the peasant women of Bulgaria. The garments of the men are a combination of sheepskin and a thick coarse woolen material, spun by the women and fashioned after patterns their forefathers brought with them centuries ago when they first invaded europe the bulgarian saddle like everything else here is a rudely constructed affair that answers the double purpose of a pack-saddle or for riding a home-made unwieldy thing that is a fair pony's load of itself at four thirty p m i wheeled into Sofia, the bulgarian capital having covered one hundred and ten kilometres to-day in spite of mud mountains, and roads, that have been none of the best. Here again I have to patronize the money-changers, for a few Serbian francs which I have not current in Bulgaria, and the Israelite who reserved unto himself a profit of two francs on the pound at Nish, now seems the spirit of fairness itself alongside the hook-nosed, wizen faced relative of his here at Sofia, who wants two Serbian francs in exchange for each Bulgarian coin of the same intrinsic value. And the best I am able to get by going to several different money changers is five francs in exchange for seven. Yet the Serbian frontier is but sixty kilometers distant, with stages running to it daily, and the two coins are identical in an intrinsic value. At the Hotel Concordia in Sofia, in lieu of plates, the meat is served on round, flat blocks of wood about the circumference of a saucer, the trenchers of the time of Henry the Eighth and two respectable citizens seated opposite me are supping off black bread and a sliced cucumber, both fishing slices of the cucumber out of a wooden bowl with their fingers. Life at the Bulgarian capital evidently bears its legitimate relative comparison to the life of the country it represents. One of Prince Alexander's bodyguard, pointed out to me in the bazaar, looks quite a semi-barbarian arrayed in a highly ornamented national costume, with immense oriental pistols in the waistband, and gold braided turban cocked on one side of his head, and a fierce moustache. The soldiers here, even the comparatively fortunate ones standing guard at the entrance to the prince's palace, look as though they haven't had a new uniform for years, and had long since despaired of ever getting one. A war and an alliance with some wealthy nation which would rig them out in respectable uniforms would probably not be an unwelcome event to many of them. While wandering about the bazaar after supper, I observed that the streets, the palace grounds, and in fact every place that is lit up at all, save the minarets of the mosque which are always illumined with vegetable oil, are lighted with American petroleum gas and coal being unknown in the Bulgarian capital. There is an evident want of system in everything these people do from my own observations i am inclined to think they pay no heed whatever to generally accepted divisions of time but govern their actions entirely by light and darkness there is no eight-hour nor ten-hour system of labour here and i verily believe the industrial classes work the whole time save when they pause to munch black bread and to take three or four hours sleep in the middle of the night for as i trundle my way through the streets at five o'clock next morning the same people i observed at various occupations in the bazaars are there now as busily engaged as though they had been keeping it up all night, as also are workmen building a house. They are pegging away at nine o'clock yesterday evening, by the flickering light of small petroleum lamps, and at five this morning they scarcely look like men who are just commencing for the day. The Oriental, with his primitive methods and tenacious adherence to the ways of his forefathers, probably enough, has to work these extra-long hours in order to make any sort of progress. However this may be, I have throughout the Orient been struck by the industriousness of the real working classes. But in practicability and inventiveness, the Oriental is sadly deficient. On the way out, I pause at the bazaar to drink hot milk and eat a roll of white bread, the former being quite acceptable, for the morning is rather raw and chilly. The wind is still blowing a gale, and the company of cavalry, out of exercise, are encased in their heavy grey overcoats, as though it were midwinter instead of the twenty-third of June. Rudely clad peasants are encountered on the road, carrying large cans of milk into Sophia from neighbouring ranches. I stop several of them with a view of sampling the quality of their milk, but invariably find it unstrained, and the vessels looking as though they had been strangers to scalding for some time. Others are carrying gunny sacks of smear-case on their shoulders, the way from which is not infrequently streaming down their backs. Cleanliness is no doubt next to godliness, but the Bulgarians seem to be several degrees removed from either. They need the civilizing influence of soap quite as much as anything else, and if the missionaries cannot educate them up to Christianity or civilization, it might not be a bad scheme to try the experiment of starting a native soap factory or two in the country. Savagery lingers in the lap of civilization on the breezy plateaus of Bulgaria but salvation is coming this way in the shape of an extension of the Eumelian Railway from the south, to connect with the Servian line north of the Balkans. For years, the Fred Department of this pioneer railway will have to run opposition against ox teams and creaking groaning wagons. and since railway stockholders and directors are not usually content with an exclusive diet of black bread with a wilted cucumber for a change on Sundays, as is the Bulgarian Teamster, and since locomotives cannot be turned out to graze free of charge on the hillsides, the competition will not be so entirely one-sided as might be imagined. Long trains of these ox-teams are met with this morning hauling freight and building lumber from the railway terminus in Eumolia to Sofia. The teamsters are wearing large grey coats of thick blanketing, with floods covering the head, a heavy convenient garment that keeps out both rain and cold while on the road, and at night serves for blanket and mattress. For then the teamster turns his oxen loose on the adjacent hillside to graze, and after munching a piece of black bread, he places a small wickerwork work windbreak against the windward side of the wagon, and curling himself up in his great coat, sleeps soundly. Besides the ox-trains, large straggling trains of pack-ponies and donkeys occasionally fill the whole roadway. They are carrying firewood and charcoal from the mountains, or wine and spirits in long slender casks from Rumelia while others are loaded with bales and boxes of miscellaneous merchandise, out of all proportion to their own size. The road southward from Sofia is abominable. Being originally constructed of earth and large, unbroken boulders, it has not been repaired for years, and the pack-trains and ox-wagons forever crawling along have, during the wet weather of many seasons, tramped the dirt away, and left the surface a wretched waste of ruts, holes, and thickly protruding stones it is the worst piece of road i have encountered in all europe and although it is rideable this morning by a cautious person one risks and invites disaster at every turn of the wheel old boreas comes howling from the mountains of the north and hustles me briskly along over ruts holes and boulders however in a most reckless fashion furnishing all the propelling power needful and leaving me nothing to do but keep a sharp lookout for breakneck places immediately ahead in Serbia, the peasants, driving along the road in their wagons, upon observing me approaching them, being uncertain of the character of my vehicle and the amount of road-space I require, would of times drive entirely off the road, and sometimes, when they failed to take this precaution, and their teams would begin to show signs of restiveness as they drew near. The men would seem to lose their wits for the moment, and cry out in alarm, as though some unknown danger were hovering over them. I have seen women begin to wail quite pitifully, as though they fancied I bestowed an all devouring circular saw that was about to whirl into them and rend team, wagon and everything asunder. But the Bulgarians don't seem to care much whether I am going to saw them in twain or not. They are far less particular about yielding the road, and both men and women seem to be made of altogether sterner stuff than the Serbians and the Slavonians. They seem several degrees less civilized than their neighbors for the north. Judging from their general appearance and demeanour they act peaceably and are reasonably civil towards me and the bicycle however and personally i rather enjoy their rough unpolished manners although there is a certain element of rudeness and boisterousness about them compared with anything i have encountered elsewhere in europe they seem on the whole a good-natured people we westerners seldom hear anything of the bulgarians except in war times and then it is usually in connection with atrocities that furnish excellent sensational material for the illustrated weeklies Consequently, I rather expected to have a rough time riding through alone. But instead of coming out slashed and scarred like a Heidelberg student, I emerged from their territory with nothing more serious than a good healthy shaking up from their ill-conditioned roads and howling winds, and my prejudice against black bread with sand in it partly overcame from having had to eat it or nothing. Bulgaria is a principality under the suzerainty of the sultan, to whom it is supposed to pay a yearly tribute. But the suzerainty sits lightly upon the people, since they do pretty much as they please, and they never worry themselves about the tribute, simply putting it down on the slate whenever it comes due. The Turks might just as well wipe out the account now as at any time, for they will eventually have to whistle for the whole indebtedness. A smart rainstorm drives me into an uninviting mehana near the Rumelian frontier, for two unhappy hours at noon a mehana where the edible accommodations would ring an ugh from an american indian and the sole occupants are a blare-eyed bulgarian in twenty-year-old sheepskin clothes whose appearance plainly indicates an over-fondness for mastic and an unhappy-looking black kitten fearful lest something perchance might occur to compel me to spend the night here i don my gossamers as soon as the rain slacks a little, and splurge ahead through the mud towards Ishtima which my map informs me, is just on this side of the Korja Balkans, which rise up in dark wooded ridges at no great distance ahead, to the southward. The mud and rain combine to make things as disagreeable as possible. But before three o'clock I reach Ishtiman, to find that I am in the province of Humalia, and am again required to produce my passport. I am now getting well down into territory that quite recently was completely under the dominion of the unspeakable Turk unspeakable, by the way, to the writer in more senses than one, and is partly so even now, but have we as yet seen very little of the mysterious veiled lady. The Bulgarians are Christian when they are anything, though the great majority of them are nothing religiously. A comparatively comfortable mehana is found here at Istima, and the proprietor, being able to talk German, readily comprehends the meaning of hunen f- hen Fabrika, but I have to dispense with cherries mud is the principal element of the road leading out of ishtiman and over the koja balkans this morning the curious crowd of ishtimanites that follow me through the mud-holes and filth of the native streets to see what is going to happen when i get clear of them are rewarded but poorly for their trouble the best i can possibly do being to make a spasmodic run of a hundred yards through the mud which i do purely out of consideration for their inquisitiveness since it seems rather disagreeable to disappoint a crowd of villagers who are expectantly following and watching one's every movement, wondering in their ignorance, why you don't ride instead of walk? It is a long, wearisome trundle up the muddy slopes of the Koja Balkans, but after the descent into the Maritsa valley begins, some little ridable surface is encountered. Though many loose stones are lying about, and pitch-holes innumerable, make riding somewhat risky, considering that the road frequently leads immediately alongside precipices. Back donkeys are met on these mountain roads, sometimes filling the way and corning doggedly and indifferently forward, even in places where I have little choice between scrambling up a rock on one side of the road or jumping down a precipice on the other. I can generally manage to pass them, however, by placing the bicycle on one side and standing guard over it, push them off one by one as they pass. Some of these Romelian donkeys are the most diminutive creatures I ever saw but they seem capable of toiling up these steep mountain roads with enormous loads. I met one this morning carrying bales of something far bigger than himself, and a big rumelian whose feet actually came in contact with the ground occasionally. Perched on his rump, the man looked quite capable of carrying both the donkey and his load. The warm and fertile Maritza valley is reached soon afternoon, and I am not sorry to find it traversed by a decent macadamized road. Though, while it has been raining quite heavily up among the mountains, this valley has evidently been favoured with a small deluge, and frequent stretches are covered with deep mud and sand, washed down from the adjacent hills and the cultivated areas of the Bulgarian uplands. The grain fields are yet quite green, but harvesting has already begun in the warmer Maridza Vale, and gangs of Rumelian peasants are in the fields, industriously plying, reaping hooks to save their crops of wheat and rye which the storm has badly lodged. Ere many miles of this level valley road are ridden over. A dozen pointed minarets loom up ahead, and at four o'clock I dismount of the confines of the well-nigh impassable streets of tatar bajar quite a lively little city in the sense that oriental cities are lively, which means well-stocked bazaars thronged with motley crowds. Here I am, delayed for some time by a thunderstorm, and finally wheel away southward in the face of threatening heavens. Several villages of gypsies are camped on the banks of the Maritza, just outside the limits of Tatar-Bazarjik. A crowd of bronzed, half-naked youngsters wantonly favour me with a fusillade of stones as I ride past, and several gaunt, hungry-looking curs follow me for some distance with much threatening clamour. The dogs in the Orient seem to be pretty much all of one breed, genuine mongrel, possessing nothing of the spirit and courage of the animals we are familiar with. Gypsies are more plentiful south of the sav than even in Austria-Hungary. But since leaving Slavonia, I have never been importuned by them for alms. Travellers from other countries are seldom met with along the roads here. And I suppose that the wandering Romanis have long since learned the uselessness of asking alms of the natives. But since they religiously abstain from anything like work, how they manage to live is something of a mystery ere i am five kilometres from tatar bhajarjik the rain begins to descend and there is neither house nor other shelter visible anywhere ahead the peasants villages are all on the river and the road leads for mile after mile through fields of wheat and rye i forge ahead in a drenching downpour that makes short work of the thin gossamer suit which on this occasion barely prevents me getting a wet skin ere i descry a thrice welcome mehana ahead and repair thither prepared to accept with becoming thankfulness whatever accommodation the place affords. It proves many degrees superior to the average Bulgarian institution of the same name, the proprietor causing my eyes fairly to bulge out with astonishment by producing a box of French sardines, and bread several shades lighter than I had, in view of previous experiences expected to find, and for a bed provides one of the huge thick overcoats before spoken of. Which, with the ample hood, envelops the whole figure in a covering that defies both wet and cold. I am provided with this unsightly but none the less acceptable garment, and given the happy privilege of occupying the floor of a small outbuilding in company with several rough-looking pack-train teamsters similarly encased, I pass a not altogether comfortless night. The pattering of rain against the one small window, effectually suppressing such thankless thoughts as have a tendency to come unbidden whenever the snoring of any of my fellow lodgers gets aggravatingly harsh. In all this company I think I am the only person who doesn't snore, and when I awake from my rather fitful slumbers at four o'clock, and find the rain no longer pattering against the window, I arise, and take up my journey towards Philippopolis, the city I had intended reaching yesterday. It is after crossing the Koja Balkans and descending into the Maritza Valley that one finds among the people a peculiarity that, until a person becomes used to it, causes no little mystification and many ludicrous mistakes. A shake of the head, which with us means a negative answer, means exactly the reverse with the people of the Maritza Valley. And it puzzled me not a little more than once yesterday afternoon, when inquiring whether I was on the right road and when patronizing fruit stalls in Tatar Bazarjik. One never feels quite certain about being right when, after inquiring of a native, if this is the correct road to Mustafa Farsha or Philippopolis, he replies with a vigorous shake of the head. And although one soon gets accustomed to this peculiarity in others, and accepts it as it is intended, it is not quite so easy to get into the habit yourself. This cure custom seems to prevail only among the inhabitants of this particular valley, for after leaving it at Adrianople, I see nothing more of it. Another peculiarity all through Oriental and indeed through a good part of Central Europe is that instead of the whirl which we use to a horse, the driver hisses like a goose. End of section 18 Recording by Sudeshna